Welcome to The Trail Less Traveled, an adventure series dedicated to taking you back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. Missoula, Montana is a mecca for outdoor enthusiasts, and each week we will bring you tales of outdoor adventures both near and far, as well as adventure information and inspiration and a few tunes to set the mood. You can read more about the show online at traillesstraveled.net. And now here's your host, Grand Canyon Whitewater Guide, yoga instructor, and master of the didgeridoo, Mandela. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, and I'm sitting here in Pio Pio Tahe in Atafenawa, which is the Milford Sound in Fjordland National Park. And right next to us are some lancewood plants that swaying in the end of the day breeze. It's sunset, and I'm looking towards the Arthur River Valley, which was carved by glaciers. That is where the Milford Track ends. The end of the Milford Track is called Sandfly Point. In order to get here, you used to have to hike for four days. 54 kilometers, or 33.5 miles, I believe. And you'd had to hike to get here. The Homer Tunnel, which is the tunnel you drive through to get here now, was completed in 1954. So the Milford Track used to be the only way to get here. And people still walk it every day. You had to book that walk six months to a year in advance. And it walks through rainforests and over McKinnon Pass, under Sutherland Falls, and ends here in the Milford Sound, where my guest this evening is a sea kayak guide, an adventure guide in a place that was carved by glaciers over 20 million years and has potentially, or shall I just say, the tallest sea cliff in the world. Oh, yeah. I claim it. Hey. My guest this evening says she claims it, eh? Yeah, totally claim it. Bit of argument, but no, nah, we're going to claim it tonight. Tell us about this mountain. It's pretty famous. It's potentially the f- most photographed mountain in New Zealand. Yeah, I'd say so. I reckon we should claim the most photographed mountain in the southern hemisphere. Yeah. Uh, it's called Mitre Peak. It's 1,683 metres tall. It's definitely looking pretty beautiful tonight. Awesome. That's uh, Olive Butcher. Olive was born and raised in the Marlborough Sounds in New Zealand. She spent most of her childhood on the water. If it wasn't swimming, it was sailing or kayaking. She studied outdoor education at university, which led her down to Fjordland, where she's been working as a sea kayak guide. In a few days, Olive Butcha is heading out to Nepal for the next adventure. First of all, thank you so much, Olive, for joining me here on the trail, Less Traveled, to share your energy and your stories with me this evening. Ah, thank you, Mandela. That's nice. It's been really fun to guide with you and learn from you out here in Fjordland. Ah, I'm honored. I just do my best. Yeah, pretty much you can say anything with confidence and people believe you, apparently. (laughs) You did your last day on the water today. Uh, you're heading to Nepal soon. Yeah. Yeah, it feels pretty strange, actually. It doesn't really feel like I'm leaving, but I think it'll all sink in tomorrow when I have to say goodbye to all the mountains and all the people. It's definitely about the people down here, eh? The mountains, it's beautiful. It's a lovely place to look at, but uh, no, it's definitely about the people for me down here. Tell us about a typical day for Olive. It's been pretty much procedure for you now over this entire season, about almost five months of guiding? Yeah, it's definitely started to get a bit of routine. Tend to be on the early trips. You know, it's not for everyone getting up super early to go and meet your customers in the dark to take them sea kayaking out to the end of the fjord, but it's definitely pretty satisfying being able to paddle all the way to the Tasman and get picked up looking out into the empty horizon with Australia over there somewhere in the distance. Yeah, sometimes if you squint really hard, you can see it, but not every day. Olive, so you just mentioned Tasman Sea and Fjord. You're guiding sea kayaking adventures for the same company that I'm working for, and you're guiding the Morning Glory trip, which leaves from base by the end of the Milford Trek and takes clients over the fjord out to the Tasman Sea. So tell us a little bit about where we are in the world and what's going on here. Uh, well, we're actually, yeah, right down at the end of the world, really. There's not much in between us and Antarctica from here. So we definitely get some pretty crazy weather. The shape of the fjord tends to sort of accelerate all of the wind down it as well. It's a bit like a big wind tunnel. It's very steep sides. 
but that tends to come in in the afternoon. We get a pretty strong day breeze during the morning trips, which I have been on for yeah, quite a bit of this week. Is the really early morning, getting up in the dark, meeting everybody in the dark, getting them all kitted out and paddling up just as it gets light basically and ending the trip all the way out onto the Tasman which is definitely pretty beautiful. It's generally pretty calm in here in the mornings. It's only the afternoons that the wind picks up unless of course there's some weather about which this summer's been quite a lot at so. Olive my first question for you is where did you grow up and how was adventure a part of your childhood? Yeah, well, I grew up in the Marlborough Sound, so it's at the very top of the South Island of New Zealand. There's sort of two main islands, the North Island and the South Island, very originally named, but the Marlborough Sounds is right at the top. So if you do travel to New Zealand and take the ferry between the islands, you'll uh, come into Picton, which is about 20 minutes away from where I grew up, sort of the closest town. So I grew up, yeah, right in the Sounds there. The ferry goes right past where the bay where we live, and does have road access. A lot of those bays don't, boat access only, but did have road access, a very windy, narrow road that used to meander its way on into Picton through those sounds up over the points and things. So yeah, I grew up right on the water there. Parents are huge sailors, definitely a big sailing family. My brother sails, my parents sail, and we always had a boat growing up. I spent a lot of time those would sort of be our family trips. We'd go out on the boat for a couple of days, a couple of nights, sleep on overnight on the boat. Just so many bays to explore in the Marlborough Sounds. It's actually the only true sound in New Zealand, unlike the one we're sitting in currently, being river-carved out valleys that are flooded by the sea. So it means they're really sort of rolly, quite low-lying hills that are flooded by the ocean so there's all sorts of little bays and coves many of them don't have anything in them just the empty beaches which are absolutely beautiful to go and explore so yeah definitely spent a lot of time on the sea (laughs) yeah I actually have a very vivid memory of one of those trips myself and my mum being in the back of our little dinghy we were out exploring from the boat and my brother I don't even know how old he would have been quite young he was rowing so he was in the middle at the front and myself and my mum were in the back of the dinghy and there's all sorts of stingrays up there and you know it was quite a calm day and you could see them underneath the water and I remember my brother sort of stirring up one with the oar you know give it a wee poke and try and you know hey hey what are you up to and then it turned out it had a mum just like I did and I just have this memory of being chased by a stingray and mum just you know going faster paddle faster paddle faster and we're just sitting in the back and obviously there's three people in this dinghy so it's and they have a lot of freeboard left (laughs) yeah I've never quite been the same around stingrays since I don't think but they're definitely beautiful creatures I I try not to stir them up anymore but it wasn't me you can blame my brother for that one sort of went through the learn to sail program as well when I was quite young and those little single-handed dinghies having an older brother he's a few years older than me and he learned to sail as well obviously he took to it quite well and loved it he had his all his his mates and things being the younger sister I always kind of felt like a younger sister in that sort of vibe I enjoyed it it was fun but sometimes having to wash and dry all of your sailing gear after sailing became more of a chore than the fun I was getting out of it. I used to have more fun tipping my little dinghy over and swimming around it, capsizing it, crawling onto the top and pulling it back upright and climbing back in it. Jumping off the wharf after sailing was always a highlight for me. I think that's kind of how I ended up moving into sort of different sports. You know, when you have an older brother that's quite good at something, you tend to want your own thing. So I kind of ended up swimming and I spent a lot of time kayaking as well. Just We used to have a really old kayak that used to sit out on the bank and we'd drag it down to the river. And I remember sitting in this kayak and just having to hold your breath and see how many rolls you could do. But of course, back then I, I couldn't actually roll a kayak. What would get is one of your mates to just stand in the water next to you and barrel roll you as many times as you could handle and that's what we used to do in the rivers near our our house this was yeah before I ever knew whitewater kayaking was a thing 
moved more into spending time under the water. Swam. I tried it as a sport for a little bit, joined a swimming squad, but we used to have to travel into Blenheim, which was about a 40-minute drive from our house into the bigger town out of Picton for the swimming pool because Picton didn't have a swimming pool and it didn't have a swim school. As a kid, I liked to dabble in sports. I didn't like to fully commit to one, so when they asked me to start training in the morning as well as after school, I was a bit like, oh i got other things going on, so tried volleyball at school, tried all sorts of sport, basketball for a little bit. I played badminton, actually, quite competitively as well. Strange sport. In Picton, being such a small town, you sort of get into those sports that have the people in them, you know, and the Picton Badminton Club had some really dedicated people at that time, which made it quite the community, and definitely that's sort of how I ended up in that played for my high school as well in the regional and then the national the secondary school championships. You're listening to The Trail Less Travelled, the community's source for adventure information and inspiration. This is Mandela, and we are sitting here on location in Fiordland National Park in a place called Piopiotahe in Atafenawa. The Māori call this place the Land of Shadows. And right now the sun is setting here and there's many different shades of shadows. Before the light changes, Olive, would you tell us what you see when you look around in 360 degrees? Try to paint the picture of this phenomenal place. I mean, above your head, I'm looking at a 600-meter granite cliff with rainforest growing on the side of it. The clouds are slowly moving south, and the last light of the sun is shining over the Southern Alps, which are one of the fastest growing mountain ranges in the world. This is New Zealand's South Island, and the last lights of the sun are shining on the rainforest 450 meters high, heading out the Milford Track on the Arthur River Valley towards Lake Ada, where the goddess of the underworld lives. I mean, this is a crazy place. So, in a nutshell, what are you looking at, Olive? I definitely think the shapes of the mountains are what I really like down here, eh? They're so extreme, for sure. The really big U-shaped valleys that the glaciers carve out and the really sharp changes of direction that you get in here. You'll get like a huge mountain range that you look like can sort of go on forever and then it just, you know, just cuts off from another glacier coming through from the other way. Just because the walls are so sharp and sort of defined in here, It's pretty crazy that there's trees up there at all. We definitely get some big tree avalanches in here where they can't hold on. But for the most part, they manage to stay up there, clinging on to anything, really. They all interlock their roots with each other, so they kind of hold each other up there. But I think those mountains just create this huge amphitheater that the clouds can then play in. And I definitely enjoy watching the clouds down here. They're never the same. They're always doing different things as the airflows drift around the mountains and currently looking out towards Mount Pembroke, which has got some crazy clouds coming towards us from over there, sort of expanding as it curls around the corner. And then obviously, like Mandela said before, we've still got the light at the top of the mountains. We're in the shadow down here now. On the very tops of the mountains, you can still see the sunshine. Mount Pembroke up in the the distance here. Yeah, we're looking at a big remnant glacier. So basically it's a big chunk of ice that's uh, left over from when the main glaciers were moving through here, carving out these valleys. Bit of a reminder about what created this place is pretty cool. That glacier feeds one of our permanent waterfalls, actually. It feeds Stirling Falls, which uh, joins the fjord about two-thirds of the way out into the fjord. One of the very cool waterfalls that we get to paddle under as kayak guides, which is always fun to see how close you can get. Today being my last day, I thought I'd give it some extra oomph and actually managed to get slightly further in than I expected, really. It was pretty crazy, pretty windy under there. Trying to turn around again was a little hairy. You definitely have to lean pretty hard towards the waterfall, otherwise that wind, with all of that spray coming off, will flip you over in a kayak. It's definitely strong enough for that. And it's what we call a glacial facial. Yeah, definitely good for your skin. I think that's one of the cool things about being down here, eh, is you get to experience these things which are pretty crazy. 
paddling under a 151 metre glacial fed waterfall most days. It's definitely something I'm trying not to take for granted. And I think as you're coming to the end of somewhere where you're staying, you tend to appreciate it a bit more when you're leaving. It was definitely a pretty cool experience paddling under there today. That's the voice of Olive Butcher, who's sitting right next to me. And we're sitting in Fjordland National Park. This is the trail less traveled, and the trail less traveled could potentially be the Milford Track back 100 years ago, or 200 years ago. Ah, 500 years ago, when Maori people were walking here to where we are, to Paralarawaka, wooden canoe, out to the mouth of the Milford Sound. They would have called it Pio Pio Tahe to collect Punamu, Greenstone. When we come back, we'll learn more about that and this a phenomenal person named Olive Butcher who was born and raised in the Marlboro Sounds in New Zealand. She spent most of her childhood on the water. If it wasn't swimming, it was sailing and kayaking. She studied outdoor education at university, which led her down to Fjordland, where she's been working as a sea kayak guide for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. Today was Olive's last day on the water, so I'm sitting with her in this beautiful rainforest surrounded by dramatic peaks to learn about our life but now it's time for a song so olive what song reminds you of your early childhood adventures my childhood the first one that came to my head was a song that i was actually singing out in the fjord today as i was watching some some dolphins out in the distance and it was a song about polaris jack now, Polaris Jack is a really famous dolphin in the Marlborough Sounds who used to guide the ships through French Pass. Now, French Pass is a really treacherous section of water in the Marlborough Sounds where the tide affects it so much that the currents, you can't go through it on a tide going against you. You have to get the tides right to go through because it all sucks over this reef and you have to go between the two lighthouses, otherwise you're pretty stuffed. Yeah, there's a song that I think we used to have it on a tape back when we used to do some road trips when I was a wee young lass and it's just a song about Polaris Jack that I'm not going to sing for you but uh, that's going to be the song I pick. Hey there, Mandela here. I just wanted to share with you a phenomenal hike that I did yesterday called Gertridge Saddle which is in Fjordland National Park. The hike is known as New Zealand's best day hike, and it overlooks the Milford Sound as well as the Tasman Sea. One of my favorite things about this hike that I did yesterday was the fact that I was wearing a comfortable and practical skirt handmade by a friend of mine in Missoula, Montana. Her name is Karen, and her designs are called Karuna Clothing. All of her clothing are handmade using organic materials that naturally soften with age. One of the things I love most about this skirt that I have and have been wearing almost daily here in New Zealand is the fact that not only is it stretchy and soft, great for hiking, it also dries fast after you spontaneously decide to dive into an ice-cold glacier melt high alpine lake. You can check out her designs and find a skirt for yourself by visiting karunaclothing.com. That's K-A-R-U-N-A clothing.com. Back to Mandela and the trail less traveled. This evening, the trail less traveled leads to New Zealand, where I'm recording currently on location. And I'm sitting here with Olive Butcher, who was born and raised in the Marlborough Sounds in New Zealand. She spent most of her childhood on the water. If it wasn't swimming, it was sailing or kayaking. She studied outdoor education at university, which led her down to Fjordland where she's been working as a sea kayak guide. In a few days, she's heading out to Nepal for her next adventure. Olive, I want to ask you about your parents because they had a great influence in the evolution of you as a water adventurous. But there is a phenomenal creature flying around us right now. Absolutely life-changing, really. The ultimate cultivator in patience. Tenamu is what it's called. And uh, it has teeth, and it bites you, and it itches. But it is a protector of this place. So before I talk about your parents, can you just tell us a little bit about Tainamu? 
Yeah, the sandflies or tinamu is yeah what they're actually called. Yeah, it's definitely an interesting one to live with. You don't get used to them, that's for sure. But you definitely try and tolerate them, I think. I always think of them as, yeah, the guardians. They're just letting us know that, you know, we don't truly belong here. We're all just visitors in this beautiful place and that we should leave it as we found it, if not better, because we're not totally welcome here, these sandflies are saying, I think, as humans. There's a lot of them, that's for sure. Milford definitely is pretty good breeding ground for them. They actually breed in the wet and sort of moist conditions, which is Milford most of the time. So there's a lot of them down here. Milford Sound's pretty famous for the old sandfly. And they get everywhere. They get in your ears and they go for your warmer parts of your body. So, you know, your face, your eyes, your ears. But we'll take any skin exposed. They're not too fussy. And yes, they do bite. I think growing up in New Zealand, I definitely have a little bit of an advantage with them. They don't tend to bother me as much. They definitely do. They just don't bite as much, I don't think. They definitely swarm around and check you out and see what you're up to. If you've been to Africa or part of Central America, you can understand the swarming effect. Oh, there's one in my beer now. Oh, it's still alive. I better drink it. (laughs) There's also a bunch of sandflies crawling all over the microphone that we're speaking into. And I've got, I think, one in my right eye for sure right now. Anyways... Wish you were here, guys, but no worries. We've bringing you the audio and the stories from Fjordland, which is a phenomenal place, and all of you are correct. These are the protectors of this place, Tenamu. I also believe that. There's quite a lovely story about how that came to be, and on that note, Olive, <laughs> will you tell us the story, please, of Tu Taraki Whanoa and Heni Nui Te Po and the Sandfly? I'll do my best. I'm going to start the story with, it goes a little bit something like this. So in Māori mythology, which were the people that were here before the Europeans, there is sort of two main gods. There's Papa Tuanuku and Rangiora, which is the Earth Mother and the Sky Father. And they have a whole lot of children, which are all of the demigods. Now one of their children, his name was Tu Tirake Whanua. And we'll, we'll just call him Tu for the rest of the story, because Tu Tirake Whanua is quite the mouthful of a name. So Tu was kind of coming of age, and he went to his mum and he's like, Mum, what can I do to earn some respect around here from the rest of the family? And what am I going to be remembered for when I'm gone? And she gave him a magical green stone axe. And she told him to come down to the southwest corner of Aotearoa or New Zealand and carve out something of beauty for the people. So that's what he did. He headed right down to the south coast. Never carved out valleys before. He was a total amateur. But he had a go started carving some valleys out of the rock and of course you know he wasn't cleaning up after himself so all of the rubble was flying around everywhere there was rocks flying left and right and they became all of the islands down there in preservation and chalky inlet as he worked his way further north he started to get a little bit better at it and he actually had 13 goes at it as practice he thought and then he was like right number 14 this is going to be my masterpiece And he really took his time carving out the 14th one. Made sure with each swing of his axe he cleared away the rubble, which is why we don't have any islands in here in Milford Sound. Once he got the walls as steep as he could, they are a lot lot steeper than the fjords further south. He looked around at all the mountains and was just like, yeah, yeah, this is pretty cool. And he invited all of his family down here to come and check out what he'd created. Now, two's brothers and sisters, they were amazed. They thought it was beautiful, paradise even. And they wanted to give him a gift to kind of show him how much they appreciated what he'd created. So one of Tu's brothers, his name was Tangaroa, and he was the god of the ocean. He gifted to the ocean, he flooded the uh, valleys with the sea and brought with it all the marine life. Now one of Tu's other brothers, his name was Tane Mahuta, and he was the god of the forest. He gifted to the forest and he plastered it all over the walls and brought with it all of the birds. Now one of two sisters, her name was Heninua Tipo, and she was the goddess of the underworld. She loved this place too, so she wanted to give to a gift as well. And she created the potion Tinamu and spread it through all 14 fjords. And Tinamu is the sandfly. So the sandfly was her gift to Milford Sound for that exact reason, for the guardian. 
She thought it was so beautiful, this place, that everybody would come down here and the population would just expand and all of the nature to just sort of get destroyed and you know trampled upon as it was forgotten about. So the sandfly is that sort of little guardian. So people come and view it, for sure, but everyone also leaves again and nobody can live here forever. The sandfly definitely gets us all one day. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled. Outdoor Adventure with Mandela on the Trail 1033. And we are recording on location in Fjordland National Park, a place called the Milford Sound. And in Mori, the place is called Pio Pio Tahe in Atafenawa, the Land of Shadows. Extremely remote place. The closest town is 123 kilometers away through a mountainous pass and a tunnel that is 1.25k long. It's like going out into the rabbit hole, I've heard many of the guides say, and coming out here in this magical place that is phenomenal, breathtaking to say the least. But I'd like to focus again now on my guest, Olive. She was just telling us a story of the sand fly because it is a prominent thing here. What would you say, Olive? I'd say it definitely dominates your life down here. You're always thinking about the sand fly, how you dress and, yeah, how bad they are. It's a, quite a hot topic. Olive, I'd like to ask you now about your parents. You grew up in the Marlborough Sounds. You come from a family of sailors and uh, kayaking. And then you studied outdoor education in university. So how did your parents help shape the evolution of Olive Butcher as an adventurer? I definitely think I owe most of my adventurous spirit to my parents. I kind of grew up listening to them telling stories about their adventures. And they spent six years sailing around the world, which I think is pretty cool just hearing stories of those places and those random adventures and things that you never expect to happen and all of the storms and the people they met and the places they saw I think growing up hearing those I think definitely inspired me to want to be able to tell stories of my own I think it also sort of encouraged me not validated but you know supported me in the fact that adventure and you know doing things that don't seem quite so normal to some people is still is important you know you know going to university and getting a normal I say in brackets a normal job isn't you know always the best way in life and I think it's definitely helped me to pursue my adventures and what I want to do just through them doing what they wanted to do I think has definitely helped me a lot. Olive was there ever a moment for you an epiphany or chance where you realized that you wanted to be outside perhaps on the water and not in an office I remember we had a guidance counselor at high school and I remember her trying to put me through all of these quizzes and things to work out what profession I should pursue it never really worked out for me (laughs) it would always give me the randomest answers but teaching came up quite a lot and I didn't want to be a high school teacher I thought that would be the worst idea in the world it, nothing really fit. You know, after high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do, so I did a gap year. I went to Canada and lived in Canada for a while, working at a summer camp. And then after that, I think that's when I really realized that you could, you know, you could do this as a job. It wasn't just something for fun that you could do on the side, that I could study this. And I remember being in Canada and, you know, talking to my mum and trying to work out where I could study it and quite what I wanted to do. I'd always done the school camps at high school as well. We used to do a week of the year, we would have a year camp. The whole year would go out on camp, and I think that definitely helped a lot. We did sea kayaking, or we went tramping, or hiking. Once I was in Canada, I realised, yeah, people can do this for real, and I don't have to go to university and do something that, yeah, is interesting, but maybe I didn't want to work in it, you know. But you did end up going to university for outdoor education. And I think it's amazing because a lot of the guides I work with, because I work with you here as a Sikai guide, a lot of the guides we work with study some awesome form of outdoor education. Sometimes in the States, what would you major in you hear? Pharmacy or law, physics, business. But here in New Zealand, I've been hearing, oh, I majored in whitewater kayaking and climbing or sea kayaking and mountain biking. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, I think New Zealand, with our tourism industry being so big, you know, it it is a legitimate industry, really. I did a Bachelor of Sport and Recreation and then majored in outdoor education. So it's the sort of the same degree that people that wanted to be PE teachers or 
nutritionists or things like that. You could major in exercise science or nutrition or outdoor education was one of those things you could major in. So that's what I did. Spent a lot of time, yeah, doing all of those outdoor things, but also got to, you know, learn about the body and anatomy. And I did a couple of nutrition classes at university as well and did a couple of, you know, sports marketing and things that I didn't even know was really a thing. So it was really cool being able to, yeah, do the outdoor education, but also be a little bit broader and get some more experience in sort of just the general industry of getting people moving and getting people outside. Again, I pursued majored in whitewater kayaking, so in our second year we could decide out of sea kayaking, rock climbing or whitewater to sort of do an advanced pursuit practice in, that's what the class is called, and that's where, yeah, I did a lot more whitewater kayaking. So you could sort of adjust it where your strengths or your interests were. You didn't have to necessarily be the strongest in that pursuit. Yeah, that's actually what introduced me to whitewater kayaking when I started university. I had never heard of whitewater kayaking before. I had done a lot of sea kayaking, for sure. But when I went to university and learned all about kayaking on the rivers and the rapids, I just thought I absolutely cannot give up this opportunity to learn to whitewater kayak. So that's why I pursued majored in whitewater. I really enjoyed whitewater. I think it forms really strong friendships because you're always in the outdoors and in the outdoors in general forms really strong bonds between people. I think it's because people are always so raw, you know. You can't really pretend to be someone else when you're really scared. <laughs> and I think that helping each other out through those things and, and looking out for each other, I think definitely helped me form some really strong friendships at uni. And, and that's why I really like whitewater kayaking as well. Olive, can you tell us a little bit about the whitewater that you grew up kayaking? We were just talking about it earlier today. We were talking about the difference between the river that I guide on, which is the Colorado, and the high-volume whitewater that slices through the Grand Canyon. And then you were talking about the steep whitewater and creaking around here versus the North Island where you learned and the Kaituna River. Yes, I went to university in Auckland, which is right at the top of the North Island, actually. When I went to university, I learned to whitewater kayak up in the North Island in the sort of central plateau area, the middle of the North Island. And there's a lot of beautiful, absolutely beautiful rivers up there. The Kaituna year being one of them, and the sort of the Wairoa and the Mohaka River as well was one of my favourites. A little bit more remote, a little bit sort of longer. You could do multi-day things on the Mohaka, which was always good fun. And yeah, the North Island tends to be a pool drop. So you have your rapid and then you have a big section of flat water as well which was always fun for messing around and pushing people over, especially when they weren't holding on to their paddles. Down here in the South Island where we are at the moment, it's a lot steeper down here, a lot more continuous whitewater. It's a lot different down here in the South Island, a lot more um, yeah, continuous really. It, the rivers you know, go on and on and on, but they're always going down because the mountains are so tall. Beautiful. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled, and we're speaking with Olive Butcher, who is a fellow guide here in the Milford Sound for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. And we're guiding sea kayaking expeditions, and this is Olive's last day. Then she's heading to Nepal. But Olive, I'd love for you to share a song with us now. So perhaps a song that reminds you of being on the water in the North Island when you were in uni. Just trying to think of a song here, and I'm trying to take my mind back to... You know, all of those road trips down to those rivers down in the North Island. Living up in Auckland, it was a good two, three-hour drive. We'd always have to get up early to avoid all the traffic in the city to get out <laughs> before the traffic started, so we'd always leave in the dark. We used to have all sorts of dance parties in those cars. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's a, a New Zealand song. I just remember the one line that used to say, let's get ready for the river, let's get ready for the river, and it used to repeat that a couple of times, and we always used to crank that out just before we got to the put-in. And I'm sure some of the other guides know the song. We're sitting here on location in Fiordland National Park on New Zealand's South Island in the most northern fjord called the Milford Sound. The Māori call this place Pio Pio Tahe in Atafenawa, in the land of shadows. And we're sitting with Olive Butcha, who was born and raised in the Māori Sounds in New Zealand. She spent most of her childhood on the water 
If it wasn't swimming, it was sailing and kayaking. She studied outdoor education, majoring in whitewater kayaking, at the university, which had led her down to Fjordland, where she's been working as a sea kayak guide. In a few days, she's heading out to Nepal for her next adventure. Olive, I'd like to ask you now about a close encounter that you may have had, where you learned a lesson from this experience, and it's something that the listeners can also benefit from learning from your experience. <laughs> I'll just say that I hope Mum's not listening, because I haven't actually told her about this one. <laughs> I think my brother told my dad, jokingly, I'm pretty sure she doesn't know about this one. It was actually when I was learning to whitewater kayak up in the North Island, and I sort of just didn't make an eddy that I should have and ended up flipping and swimming through a rapid that I was planning on portaging, planning on walking around, and ended up swimming through a strainer, which if you don't know what a strainer is, it's where the river goes underneath the rock, really. And I remember swimming through this little tunnel and being like, oh God, if there's no end to this tunnel or if there's logs in here, I'm probably going to die. And I remember the water going really dark under there as well because obviously the light wasn't getting through underneath the rocks. And I remember just opening my eyes and being like, oh, it's really dark in here. And then just seeing this sort of like patch of brighter turquoise light and being like, yep, I'm going to swim straight towards that as fast as I can. And popped up on the other side of this huge, was probably slightly bigger than a car-sized boulder, a big car-sized boulder, and popping up on the other side and seeing one of my friends who had already jumped out of his boat and looking down at me, just the look on his face, and just kind of being like, yep, that just happened. I just popped up on the other side of that. I'm pretty glad I'm on the other side. And being throw bagged and just holding on to the throw bag with my feet against the rock that I'd just swum underneath and just kind of couldn't get out there, but just staying there for a moment, sort of tripoding it with my two legs, pushed straight against the boulder and holding on to the throw bag and just being like, wow, um, yeah, that was that was intense. And I was actually paddling a boat that wasn't even mine. And I remember just trying to be more worried about losing the boat than than me I guess and asking like oh did you get the boat did you get the boat and they're like oh who cares about the boat yeah it it took me a while to process it it was a tough moment eh? just realizing that it could have all been over I guess and that I look back on it now and think of all the things I've done sort of since then and realize that I you know I might not have done these things and I think it helped me to just do what makes you happy and to enjoy it and try and make other people happy. Be okay with saying goodbye at any stage. Olive, what have you learned from your time working here as a sea kayak guide in the Milford Sound of New Zealand's South Island? A place that is known for extremely high wind funneling through the fjord and warm moist clouds that hit the mountains from the ocean and get forced up getting colder and then dumping all their water over the west coast what have you learned i think i've grown a whole lot down here i came down here at the start of last summer so not the summer just gone but the summer before that straight out of uni just graduated just wanted to get out as far away from the city as i could get really and i thought milford sound seemed like a pretty awesome opportunity i was pretty stoked couldn't believe that i'd actually gotten the job really and i remember coming down here and just being in awe of all of these cool people and thinking that I wanted to be one of them really I guess. I've greatly developed my technical skills dealing with people and kayaking and learned a whole lot sea kayaking and group management and all of those sort of things and and, you know risk management down here and a whole lot with the weather as well it plays such a important part in our lives really down here. But I think mainly for me it's been the people I'm one of the youngest down here and I think I've really enjoyed living with some older people. I'm not calling you guys old, but older people. And I think it's helped me really develop sort of who I want to be and sort of those values and qualities that I would like to develop personally rather than professionally down here. Olive, do you have any stories in particular? I mean, I don't know, I'm a guide too, and I feel like one of the more 
common questions that get asked by my clients is what was the most extreme day guiding or like what's your best story guiding a lot of stories come to mind I guess it depends on where I was and what I was doing but you know there's stories that pop into your head and you have any stories from guiding here in uh, Fjordland yeah for sure I definitely think that sea kayak guiding down here in Milford Town is one of the more extreme places to sea kayak guide in New Zealand just with the wind really on our sunny days when they do come we get big day breezes in here which is where that wind is funneled down the fjord and all of our afternoon trips get dropped off by the water taxi by the boat out in the fjord and they paddle with the wind back home through the mountains and you know you're quite often guiding in 20 30 knots of day breeze with the wind behind you for sure you wouldn't be able to paddle into that it still gets pretty gnarly in here I've definitely had some moments out there where I'm like, I think we're having fun. Yeah, everyone looks, yeah, yeah, we're, we're having fun. Okay, you know, you know, yeah, are they having fun? Yeah, no, they're having fun. We're cool. We're, we're good. We're still good. They're all having fun. Definitely had some hairy moments that gets a, some pretty big waves in here for sure. I like to call it class five sea kayaking, you know. You're out there sometimes with people that have never been kayaking before and, you know, they don't realise sometimes what they're quite signing up to. When we say it's our toughest trip, it really is our toughest trip. Definitely had a few moments where I'd wish I'd rafted up a bit sooner than I had, but it all seems to work out. Had a few capsizes out there, but it all seems to work itself out. The cherry on top of living down here is the wildlife the dolphins been in and out of the fjords that coming down here into Milford quite a lot recently which has been awesome the dolphins down here are really nomadic so they travel all the way up and down the fjordland coast so going into all of the fjords it's only when they decide to come up into Milford do we ever get to see them and they're just beautiful creatures the dolphins eh? they're huge it's about as far south as here generally find bottlenose dolphins so they have adapted a bit to the cold water they're a lot bigger than normal you're kayaking beside them and you can see them underneath the water and you I tried to line one up with my boat the other day and it was well over halfway of my single sea kayak they're definitely pretty big creatures but when you get them in the right mood when they're playful and slightly interested in you I've had them jumping all around my kayak and the other day I just had a magical moment where the water around me was almost white water because it was so turbulent from the dolphins just churning it up doing their thing diving the dips and dives and trying to pile up on top of each other I saw a few of them try and you know one would jump and then the other one would jump on on top of it looks like they were having heaps of fun just interested in us seeing what we're up to and just playing really it's definitely pretty awesome to see we also get all the other wildlife in here you know we get lots of seals come down and it's absolutely cool to see them sort of twisting around and they're so graceful in the water you know they're gliding and barrel rolling around and then you can see them out of the water as well and they're pretty funny to watch them try and clamber up the rocks we also get the penguins in here they've just started coming back in they're going to come in and molt all their feathers in in March and we get the Fjordland crested penguin down here which is apparently the third rarest and the second smallest penguin in the world so definitely some pretty unique places think Fjordland definitely a pretty cool place to live for sure beautiful Olive now I'd like to ask you about fear how do you handle fear fear yeah it's definitely a tough one I think I don't know I try and work out what I'm actually scared of if it's I'm trying to convince myself to do something I think I try and work out what I'm afraid of but uh, definitely something we all get I think for sure what came to mind was actually an adventure movie that I'd watched that really inspired me. It was a, It's actually a skiing movie, completely off topic from Whitewater for sure, but I definitely really like it. It's called Pretty Faces, and it's about women and skiing, and there's just this line that this girl, it's like a mantra. She repeats that one line, and it's just, conquer fear, that's why you're here, conquer fear, that's why you're here. And I think, you know, those sort of things that you say to yourself to help you and always try and if something's scaring me I always try and take three deep breaths and then do it <laughs> conquer fear that's why you're here I like that a lot the editor actually of that film Lizzie Mazzula her name is Sophie Danison shout out to Sophie yeah <laughs> 
apparently Allie, one of the producers, came down here to the Milford Sound and stayed with the kayak guides. Olive, now I'd like to ask you about something that we go over with our clients every morning. We tell our clients that there's about 14,000 earthquakes that happen here every year. Just can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, what's going on here with the plates? Yeah, I think New Zealand is probably the best place to be if you're a geologist. It's pretty extreme down here at the bottom of the world. It's actually where the two tectonic plates are smashing into each other and forcing the mountains up out of the sea. The major fault line, it actually enters the South Island a little bit further north of here. But if you imagine how you've got a trunk of a tree and as you get further away from the trunk, you get out towards the branches. We have a few splinter fault lines, so like those outer branches of a tree running through here. There's a few cracks in the mountains that you can distinctively see and it's pretty crazy to imagine an earthquake and those sort of splitting apart. We are waiting for that big nine point something earthquake to hit. Not something you generally spend most days thinking about. Milford Sound's probably not the most ideal place to be if there were a major earthquake like that. They reckon that we wouldn't get a tsunami in from the sea, that's the good news, but a nine point something earthquake would trigger enough rockfall in here to have a pretty big tsunami regardless, so... They reckon they can give us three minutes warning, I've been told. And we had a tsunami evacuation drill last summer where we tried to jump in the van and drive as fast as we could to the tsunami evacuation route and run up the hill to the uh, lookout. And it took us three minutes and 17 seconds, so apparently we'll be dead by 17 seconds. Maybe we need to work on our steer running. Either way, it's worth it. We let folks know about that and it's most certainly worth it because this is by far New Zealand's best sea kayaking, I think. The guy sitting next to me thinks so. Oh yeah. yeah. You're listening to The Trail Less Traveled and we're speaking with Olive Butcher, who is a fellow guide here in the Milford Sound for Roscoe's Milford Kayaks. And we're guiding sea kayaking expeditions and this is Olive's last day. Then she's heading to Nepal. Awesome. Olive, thank you so much for sharing your energy and your time with me on the trail less traveled this evening. Oh, no, thanks for having me. I'm pretty honored to make it there. Hopefully we will do this again in like 30 years, and I'll tell you some more stories, hopefully. Olive, let's end this program with three bits of advice that you'd like to share with the listener. Well, I'm only 23, so I don't definitely don't claim to be an expert on life. My best advice, you know, for anyone would be life is way too short to get a desk job and pay your bills and die. Go out there and find your passion. Like, it can be anything. I don't know what your passion is. You know, whatever your dreams are, you're well capable of pursuing them and achieving them. Don't let society mould you into something you think you should be for other people. Do what makes you happy. And I think people might do something and feel really happy, but then forget that that thing makes you happy. So I always try and think about what's made me feel the happiest and then try and pursue those things. Olive, what song would you like to end the show with? We just got all deep, so I feel like I can't pick anything too poppy. (laughs) The first song that did come to my mind, I feel like I'm sort of ending my time in here in Milford Town for a little bit. I'm sure I'll be back at some point. And in the mornings, we have the radio sort of music channel that always thrashes the same song. So I think it's a bit of a theme song for the summer would be the new Chainsmokers song about Paris. Kia ora, Mandela here, your host of The Trail Less Travelled, an adventure series dedicated to documenting humanity by collecting sound effects and interviews from the most remote locations around the planet. Subscribe to the Trail Less Traveled podcast on iTunes and check out traillesstraveled.net to follow the show as is recorded on location around the world. I would like to thank my guest for this week, Olive Butcher, who was born and raised in the Marlborough Sounds in New Zealand. She spent most of her childhood on the water. If it wasn't swimming, it was sailing or kayaking. She studied outdoor education at university, which led her down to Fjordland where she's been working as a sea kayak guide. In a few days, she's heading out to Nepal for her next adventure. My name is Mandela, your host of The Trail Less Traveled, and my goal for the show is to take you, the listener, back to mankind's earliest form of entertainment, storytelling. 
Therefore, every week I will be interviewing an adventurer about what they do, how they do it, and how you can start adventuring in a similar fashion. The Trail Less Traveled is recorded at the Missoula Broadcasting Company, nestled in the mountains of Missoula, Montana, or on location around the world, in order for me to find these adventurers and talk to them in their natural habitat. Tonight's interview was recorded in Fjordland National Park. The Mori call this place Atafenoa, which means the land of shadows. We are in Pio Pio Tahe, or the Milford Sound, and the closest town is 123 kilometers away, which most certainly makes the integrity of an adventure show shine, when it is quite an adventure for me to get these interviews sent to you guys via the internet, which is non-existent when it rains. And this place rains over 250 days a year. We got more rain here than the Amazon rainforest, about seven meters on average per year, which is the height of a two-story house. But the rain is all right. It's actually fabulous because when it rains, it creates millions of waterfalls. My adventure tip this week is the seven Ps. Prior planning preparation prevents piss-poor performance. And that adventure tip is courtesy of the guides at Roscoe's Milford Kayaks, New Zealand's best sea kayaking adventures. Well, that's it for this week, my friends in Missoula and around the world. But until next week's adventure, please get outside and shred the gnar. Because as you know, the gnar simply does not shred itself. <laughs> <laughs>